Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Monday, January 4th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We'll give you some initial thoughts on the college football playoff national championship game between Ohio State and Alabama. We'll talk a little bit about what our approach is going to be from a prop standpoint, because this game basically treated like the college football Super Bowl. Lots of prop betting options available, not right now, but will be later on in the week. And, of course, we'll talk about some more of those on next week's show. And then try to focus the majority of today's program on the hardwood. We'll call it our handicapping the hardwood segment, talking a lot of things around the college basketball landscape. So that'll get you ready, uh, you know, for what's coming up over the next few weeks in the college basketball realm. Over at ATS.io, we got a lot of great content for you. This morning, I put together the recaps for Week 17 in the Circus Sports Million 2 and the Westgate Super Contest. Congratulations to all of the winners in those. You can read about all those details over at the website. Our NFL opening line report also up here for the Wild Card Weekend. Uh, if we have any time next week on the show, we'll talk some NFL with Kyle. But for now, I wanted to make sure that we did a lot of college basketball stuff since we've been kind of putting that on the back burner a little bit. But we are talking college basketball, NBA, college football, and the NFL over at ATS.io. And also the NHL season begins a week from Wednesday. So we'll be talking some more about pucks over at the website as well. And golf returns this week. The Tournament of Champions out at Kapalua. I'll have a preview for that over at ATS.io later today. Finally, make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Just search against the spread or ATS betting or whatever you want to look for uh, in either one of those two stores. You can also go to ATS.io on your mobile device, click the link to download the app, and that'll take you straight there, whether you have an Android or an iOS device. But it's a bet tracker, an odd screen, full article integration from the website, lots of helpful handicapping tools, tons of bells and whistles in that app. So make sure that you download that ATS app. We'll have you covered for everything that you need right there at your fingertips when you download the ATS app. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Doing all right. How about yourself, Adam? Doing very well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always here, sir. And uh, big weekend for me, you know, being a Buckeyes fan and a Browns fan, I can't believe in the span of 24 hours next week on Sunday and Monday, I got a playoff game for the Browns and, of course, the national championship game. For the Buckeyes, you're a Buckeyes fan as well. So uh, I know but with the text that you and I had back and forth, I think satisfying was, was the word that I used uh, for Ohio State, not only to win that game, but to do it in the manner that they did over that smug asshole Dabo, Dabo Sweeney. Uh, that was fun. It was fun. It was a nice way to start 2021 for us. Yeah, I was uh, I was really pumped up about that game. That was the most pumped up I've been about an Ohio State game in a long time. My wife even told me, man, it's been a long time. You know, you had kind of mellowed out and then it came back on Saturday night and I was like, or Friday night, I was like, yeah, that, that game meant a little bit more, right? I mean, it had uh, more involved in it. And obviously this sets up a, uh, a huge national title game with Alabama team that's been um, – yeah, I mean, they look as, about as good as anybody I've seen in a really long time. So it's a tough matchup for Ohio State. But you and I kind of talked beforehand, even if we knew Ohio State was going to lose the national title game, we really wanted them to win that game last week. And, uh, yeah, that was a really satisfying win. 
It absolutely was. And, uh, you know, also too doubly satisfying for me. I've, I've married into being a South Carolina fan as well. So uh, I know the Gamecocks can't beat Clemson, but it was certainly nice for Ohio state to do it. And again, to do it in the manner that they did, especially with how Dabo treated everything leading up to that game. I was hilarious to see the discourse on Twitter of people like, man, you know how, just how bad of a spot it puts me in to have to root for Ohio state because I dislike Dabo (laughs) that much. It was just such a a fascinating uh, discussion there on social media. And of course we'll see what happens here in the national championship game, which we will talk about in a minute. And also, you know, kind of some factors that you and I have discussed with Ohio state coming off of, you know, such a performance there against Clemson. But before we get to the national championship game, I always ask all of my guests this. And of course, you know, now that we're into the new year, maybe some new year's resolution type themes here coming out of this college football season, Kyle, that was so weird, so unique, so strange. You sort of wonder how much you want to take away from this season, but you know, the question I'm going to ask here, what do you feel like you did? Well, what do you feel like you need to work on? And then the final question, the follow-up to that would be how much of this season can we actually take away and apply to next year and future seasons? Yeah, I, overall, I'm kind of disappointed at how my season went. Um, just barely up for the season. My free picks have done better than my uh, paid plays. In general, um, sides were bad to me. Totals were better to me. Bowl season was a real mess. I didn't bet very many games in bowl season. I'm really glad I didn't. I feel like it was kind of a minefield with all the last-minute things. Uh, San Jose State was a side that I really liked quite a bit. I'm, I'm glad I didn't get on that one. I know some people who were pretty sharp were on that one. This was just a, a season that, um, you know, not because I, I was down so much or, or because, you know, it was the ugliest season I've ever had, but I'm ready to forget this season. You know, it's, it's just uh, something that I'd hate to take too much out of this season based on how things went. Um, This was so much different than anything else. I do think that um, I probably waited too long to make my plays um, a lot of the weeks this year. And I talked myself out of too many sides that were actually good ones. You know, I can think of a couple times I talked myself out of fading Michigan state. I knew Michigan state wasn't good. And I was worried that somebody knew something I didn't about COVID and, you know, I didn't take Iowa. That was the one that really stood out to me as far as a um, big play, but you know, I talked myself out of some winners that way. I also waited too long in the week on some of my totals. I got burnt on a couple of those numbers. I feel like, you know, in a normal season, I'd really beat myself up over that. But in this season, you kind of have to say it it was understandable why I wanted to wait. So um, I didn't get as good a market entry as what I normally do. I still got closing line value, but I didn't get the best of the number quite as often as normal. So I hate that, but I, I feel like it's kind of understandable. So as far as what I take away from this season, I'm not going to take away much for next year. And I don't really even know what I'm going to do as far as power ratings to start next year, because um, it's going to be pretty tough to um, apply what happened at the end of this year for the teams that, especially the teams that had a bunch of guys sitting out, opting out at the end of the season or were out with COVID. It's going to be hard to take what you finished with last year and really start with that next season. So I think uh, power ratings are going to be more complicated to start with next season. And I think something that's really challenging for you and, and for people in your line of work is you almost have to evaluate the season sort of in layers, you know, in terms of what you did personally with your bankroll, with the plays that you made, the numbers that you got that, you know, you knew early in the week, 
totals, for example, right? You, you get a lot of closing line value in the totals market, things that you can't release to clients. So that's an altogether different animal. And I talk about this, you know, from my personal perspective of handicapping for content, where a lot of times I think, I think about this specifically with cherry picking college basketball games. I don't like whatever games on ESPN probably, but it's the big game of the night. So it's the one that I write up, the one that I preview all of that. Maybe I have an edge in a different game or find an angle I like in a different game, something like that. Handicapping for content is much different than personally betting and handicapping. Similarly for you, I think the fact that you have to restrict yourself to a number that's widely available or restrict yourself to releasing plays at a certain time of the day or something like that, that makes it a real challenge. That adds an extra layer of difficulty to a business that's already very tough to beat. And I know that, you know, you'll get flack when you have losing plays and occasionally get the attaboys when you have winning plays. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, because you have to adhere to these different timelines or, you know, if a number is seven and a half somewhere and you can grab it because it's an out for you, but it's seven across the rest of the market, you can't release seven and a half to clients and then say, well, Why'd you take seven? I told you to take seven and a half when it's sitting there at one book. I think that's a really challenging thing too. And I think something like that gets magnified in this COVID season for exactly the reasons that you outlined. You know, how long do I wait to actually release this play or bet it myself? What does somebody out there know that I don't know? You know, the inside information thing. It was just one of those years where I think there there were a lot of things working against a lot of people, uh, you know, and in particular, you know, if you do have clients that, you know, purchase selections from you, I think it made it that much harder. Yeah, it did. And um, I I think that uh, as far as the day-to-day buyers, the people who buy on the weekend, a lot of times those people who buy just on Saturday aren't going to get the plays that I like the most because I don't want to sell something that's moved a lot. So, you know, I pull that down and the only people that are going to receive those plays are the people that have the long-term subscription. So it's kind of frustrating for me when I know that, hey, my favorite three plays are the ones that I can't put up on the site for um, daily sale on Saturday. But, you know, I want to be fair to the people who buy that day. I don't want to say, hey, you know, take over 58 and the line's now 62 and a half. That, that wouldn't be right. So um, that's that's complex. And I will say that that totals move a lot more than sides do. And when I play a lot of uh, a lot of totals, it's more likely that you're going to have some big line moves, uh, as has happened as far as this year, too. I do track how my leans versus my plays have done. Um, I had a year a couple of years ago where I did really good in college football and my leans did really poorly. This year was the year where my leans did better than my, my actual plays. And I actually did bet some of those leans. The, the complicated thing for myself is I've kind of taken the approach that I want to lower my volume a bit because I know some clients um, really can't handle the large volume. So I've tried to cut back on what kind of paid plays I have. Um, the swings are far more drastic when you're betting, say, you know, 15 college basketball plays in a day versus um, six or seven. So, you know, I've tried to lower that volume. I'm not really sure that that's the best way to to make a long-term profit in the end, especially in a sport like college basketball, but even in college football where I've lowered my plays a little bit. But, you know, as far as um, customer service and, and people, you know, being happy enough, I, I do think that it's a little bit easier if you're not um, betting a ton of plays. So um, that's that's a move that I've made that, 
I, I kind of wrestle with that one, but, you know, especially in this COVID season, I did kind of want to have lower volume. So we'll see what happens next year. I really hope that, I think all of us do. I really hope that next year is a lot more normal than this year was. Yeah, we certainly hope so. And, and like I've told you before, I mean, the, the challenge that comes with that is you're handicapping every game twice. You know, you, you've got this list of things that you like and, you know, yeah, maybe you're playing a game that, you know, maybe you've got, let's say you've got five plays, right? And and you've got maybe an extra half or an extra quarter percent edge on the plays that you sell as premiums. You know, yeah, that in some respects, that could be a large edge. In most respects, it's probably not going to be. It's a very nominal edge at best, but you're handicapping the games twice in the sense that some are going to be premium, some are going to be personal plays that you bet because you like them, but you try to take, you know, your best five plays and put them out there. And, and that does make it a really challenging thing to say the least. So you know, I don't envy you uh, in the spot that you're in, but you know, I just, uh, I like to talk about these things just so that listeners understand, you know, how this business goes. And, you know, of course the, uh, the complications and then the complexities, as you said, uh, of the pick selling side of the spectrum. With that, we'll do a highlight video here a week in advance of the national championship game between Ohio state and Alabama I'm ATS radio host Adam Burke, joined by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And I will tell you here that at this point in time, neither one of us has a strong opinion on the side or the total for the national championship game. We're a week out, a lot of moving parts. The best way to attack this is almost always the prop betting market, whether it's team props or player props for a game of this magnitude. But we did want to get a highlight video out there sort of talking through our initial thoughts here now that this line's had some time to marinate over the weekend and we've had some time to kind of sit there and think about where this number is sitting. So, Kyle, right now as we look at this game, Alabama minus eight, pretty much market-wide, total 75. Initial action so far has been on Alabama on the side and on the under a little bit. What do you think about what we've seen so far? Um, as far as this game, I think that this sets up as a really difficult spot for Ohio State. Us as Buckeyes fans, we know how big that win was over Clemson. That was a game that Ohio State had circled the entire season. You know they wanted to play Clemson. They got their wish, showed up in a big way. Look, Ohio State was far better in that game than they've been any other time this year. And we knew they were capable of it, but they hadn't shown it until that game. Uh, Fields was amazing. I think that it's underrated how much Trey Sermon has really helped this offense at this point, though. You know, I know that Fields deserves a lot of credit, and I'm certainly not taking any, anything away from him, but he wouldn't be able to have that game if it weren't for Trey Sermon being that good. Sermon has been uh, light years better than Master Teague was earlier this season. Um, he had some good uh, catches out of the backfield there in that game. He was tremendous running the football. I think that really opened up that deep pass because Clemson really had to respect the running game and the short passing game with Sermon. As far as what's Bama going to do in this one on defense, I think the Alabama defense has improved quite a bit throughout the course of the season. It's clearly still their weaker side of the football. Uh, Alabama's offense, I I can't find a flaw in it. I don't know who could find a flaw in that uh, Alabama offense. Ohio State's defense in and, and the last game looked better. I still don't think Ohio State's defense is a really good defense. Um, their linebacker play is not as good as it is a lot of seasons. The secondary is certainly down from what it's been in some of the past seasons. I think the defensive line is still pretty good, and they played very well there against Clemson. Uh, as far as how this game sets up, we got a line here of minus eight, uh, a couple seven and a halves, mainly eight. 
I don't think this will go toward Ohio State. If anything, it would go up toward Alabama. I don't think it'll get to 10. I'd be surprised if, uh, you know, if it got to 10, I think Ohio State would get too much action. So um, eight and a half, nine, maybe about where this line could go. If you like Ohio State, you probably want to wait and see what you can get. If you like Alabama, I don't think it hurts you to go ahead and play it early. Um, You know, Ohio State's had more COVID issues than has Alabama here of late which is also something to factor in. I I don't, we can't predict what's going to happen in the next week, obviously with something like that. So um, that's one of the downfalls of, of betting it early. If you do, as far as the total, um, I don't know what to do with this total to be, to be honest, because uh, I want to take the over, but I can't take over 75 in a national title game. I don't think I'm not, I haven't bet this game yet. I don't know what I'm going to bet on this one. Um, I do think props will have more value than the game. I don't think I'll bet Ohio State in this one. I did bet Ohio State against Clemson. Um, you know, we basically have almost the same line as we had against Clemson, and Ohio State was in a far better spot there than what they are here, and I think Alabama is better than Clemson. So it'd be hard to take Ohio State. I don't want to take Bama, obviously, as an Ohio State fan, because um, uh, then I would be conflicted. Uh, you know, It's one of those spots where I don't think there's any great value as far as the the full game here. I might end up playing something. I might play a first half or something like that. I think the over has um, a decent chance of getting there, but I can't take over 75 in a, in a game that as a national title game, at least for a big play at all. And on the other side, how could you take the under? I mean, it'd be really hard to take the under these two teams, big play offenses. If you were ever going to say big play offenses, both of these teams fit, both teams have given up a lot of big plays on defense too. So you would expect a lot of explosive plays in this game. As I sort of handicap this one and, and listen to your breakdown of it and, and sort of process my thoughts on the game, I do have a lean, and it is to the Alabama side. And this is not an emotional hedge, as you mentioned, both of us Buckeyes fans. This is not an emotional hedge or anything like that. There are a couple of things about this game that would point me in the Alabama direction. The first one is Justin Fields has to be able to hit the deep ball for Ohio State to keep pace with Alabama. I don't know if that happens here. I do know that with Chris Olave back, we saw the clear-cut difference in this Ohio State offense with Sermon, a more of a focal point, and then, of course, Olave being back. It changed everything for Ohio State in the vertical passing game. Fields has to hit those throws for the Buckeyes to keep pace. And those are not – while Fields is very good at throwing the deep ball, I wouldn't call them high-percentage plays by any means. So that's something that worries me a little bit. The second thing about it here – is that I thought Clemson called a really, really poor offensive game in the semifinal. It's almost like they tried to do exactly what they did last season and figured they would have the same measure of success, and they didn't. Kerry Coombs planned for it. As you said, Ohio State had this game circled. They wanted this rematch. They got it. They did things differently. I thought Ryan Day called an excellent game. I thought Clemson really failed in a lot of different areas. When Fields got hurt, they never really blitzed him very much, didn't make him uncomfortable. And then offensively, things were just kind of a train wreck for Clemson throughout that game. There was a play early on in that game when you and I were texting each other back and forth, the Trevor Lawrence touchdown run, when he beat Baron Browning to the edge, got to the end zone. That is my biggest worry for Ohio State defensively in this game. They are slow at linebacker. What does Alabama love to do? They're going to put it out in Devontae Smith's hands out in space. They're going to run crossing routes. They're going to run seam routes. They're going to run guys over the middle. Ohio State's linebackers are going to have a big problem, I think, keeping up 
with Alabama's wide receivers. Clemson didn't exploit that. They did not use the middle of the field. Lawrence threw a lot of low percentage plays to the sideline. And then, of course, they used you know Travis Etienne as much as they could. I thought Clemson had a very bad game plan going in. I do not expect Alabama to have the same. I'm rooting for Ohio State. I hope Ohio State can pull this one out. I hope they can you know keep this game close and certainly respectable. But as I break it all down here, as I think about how I expect this game to go, how I expect both teams to scheme, and the differences I see from the Alabama offense and the game plan relative to what Clemson did, I think it's very hard for Ohio State to keep pace here in this one unless Fields hits those deep balls and all of a sudden the linebackers find some speed. Yeah, I I would lean to Alabama in this one as well. So I I don't disagree with that. And the other thing is um, Smith on the outside, you would have to assume that it's Sean Wade against him, right? And Wade Wade looks really bad. I mean, Banks looks far better than Wade did in that game. Um, Wade is really hurting his NFL draft stock a lot here. And I fully agree with you on the Clemson thing too. Um, Both of us kind of texted back and forth during that game. Why were they running Lawrence so much in that game? I don't understand, especially when they got behind. He just kept running and and we're texting each other like, keep it up. You know, I mean, what is going on here? Um, Bama's not going to call near as bad of a game. And uh, they know that Smith against Wade, or uh, I assume it'll be Smith against Wade, which really scares me. Uh, Whoever the matchup is there, um, Ohio State's at a big disadvantage. And like you said, they're going to use the middle of the field and they're going to go deep a lot more. There's not going to be those eight or 10 yard outs that were pretty low percentage plays. Um, I think Bama will throw it quite a bit in this game. And that worries me as a Buckeyes fan. I mean, on the plus side for Ohio State, I will say this, you know, the inclusion of the tight ends in the offense for really the first time all season, that was an adjustment that Ryan Day made, I think, coming out of last year's game where, you know, last year, They had issues with the safeties. They had issues with Isaiah Simmons. They had issues with the corners. But this year, you know, they kind of exploited that linebacker position for Clemson and certainly did that a little bit more after Skalski got ejected for the targeting call. I don't know if they have the same success doing that against Alabama here in this one. And also the elephant in the room that we've barely touched on to this point, what kind of shape is Justin Fields going to be in for this game? I mean – that I don't know that performance in that semifinal game was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen on a college football field. The dude could barely get on the bike to stay loose. And then he's just throwing these seeds to the end zone to the tight ends, throwing these deep balls from midfield. It was absolutely insane. But what sort of damage was done? You know, what do they put, you know, a flak jacket or some extra protection on him that kind of limits his mobility, limits that rotation in the pocket to where maybe it's harder for him to get some of those deeper throws off. It takes him a little bit longer to kind of get into that throwing motion, stuff like that. We have no idea. You talk about COVID being a major, you know, uh, uncertainty here in this game, the status of fields, he's going to play, but to what degree will he be able to play? Can he use his legs? Can he run around? Will he have to throw into double coverage? So on and so forth. That's a question that we probably won't know the answer to until the game actually starts. I agree. And that, that could make you wonder if live betting would be a good option here too, because uh, if fields comes out looking really good at the beginning of the game, it would really encourage you a lot as a Buckeyes fan. At the same time, we know that there's some chance that he'll come out and not look nearly as good. Fields did have a couple games where he didn't look very good this season, the Northwestern game and the Indiana game. 
Bama probably has a better plan here defensively as well. I was surprised that Clemson didn't adjust better than what they did with Venables. Venables, a great defensive coordinator, but Ohio State kind of had their number the other day. And, you know, Fields, if he plays that good, like he did the other day, this is going to be a really good game. But it's hard to play that good twice in a row. And, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he can be that amazing. Like you said, he was throwing 60-yard passes right to Olave uh, with that kind of injury. That would be hard to replicate, uh, duplicate here. And I don't know. I mean, as a Buckeyes fan, like you say, maybe we buried the lead a little bit and that Fields is really very important to this. Um, There are quite a few unknowns in this one. So I think it would be unwise to make a huge wager before the game uh, for anybody. But uh, a game that, you know, certainly has plenty of fan value in this one. This should be a really exciting uh, contest. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, lean for both of us to Alabama. And and I will tell everybody this as we finish up this highlight video. Do not tease this game. Because people are going to look at this and say, oh, I can get Alabama down under a field goal. Don't do that. Do not do that. Not in this super high variance environment. Very high total here, of course, in this game. Ohio State coming off of their best performance of the year. Generally speaking, teasers in college football are a bad idea anyway. Uh, but especially, you know, in a game like this, don't sit there and look at Alabama and say, oh, I can get them down below a field goal. That one is just way too good to be true. That is not a position that I look would look to take here. If you like Alabama, you got two options. One is go ahead and lay the current price. And two is exactly what you said. Live betting is an option, is an opportunity. You may get Alabama minus three and a half, minus four live betting, something like that depending on how this game starts. So uh, some early thoughts from us here on the national championship game between Ohio State and Alabama. Make sure you keep it tuned right here on ATS Radio and also to ATS.io to get more thoughts here on this Ohio State versus Alabama matchup for January 11th. Before we transition away from this game, though, Kyle, I wanted to finish up the highlight video there first. Uh, Prop betting. You know, we talked about it a little bit already that you know, I think Fields is going to have to take some shots downfield here because that's kind of Ohio State's MO. If they want to move the ball 8, 10 yards at a time on, on Alabama, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. So when I start thinking about the game state and how I sort of expect this thing to go, transitioning that over the player prop betting market, I'm kind of looking at something like Fields under completions. Now, of course, I don't know what that number is going to be. Uh, we'll see what these you know prop bet lines come out. Uh, probably Wednesday or Thursday, they'll start popping up a little bit. But to me, I think if Fields has a big game, it's probably not a volume-based big game. It's probably just the big plays. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that they'll take several shots downfield. We don't know if they'll hit them or not, but they've got to take some shots here for multiple reasons because um, Alabama, like you said, would be hard to move it on six or eight yards at a time. And Bama's going to get so many big plays themselves it's going to be hard for Ohio state if they don't hit some big plays also, because it's really hard to always get, you know, three, four or five yards on every single play and get down the field. Every time you have to get some explosive plays to keep up with the team as good as Alabama. I think Ohio state knows that I would look toward the under on uh, fields completions, or maybe something over with Trey sermon. Uh, Sermon's been very good uh, rushing yards, maybe even rushing and passing yards combined. Uh, I think Sermon will have a pretty good game here. Uh, Ohio State's offensive line has played pretty well here down the stretch, especially with with missing some guys. Uh, we'll see if they're totally healthy or not. 
Bama's defensive line is good. They're not a dominant defensive line like they've been in some years in the past. I think Ohio State can run the ball some here. Uh, Sermon has played extremely well. And you have to think that they want to keep the ball away from Alabama to some degree here. Who wouldn't want to? So I think uh, a look at Trey Sermon running it quite a bit and then Fields looking deep a decent amount as well is probably the way I'd look at this. Yeah, and keep in mind, too, I mean, you can have some correlation, you know, with your player props, with your game props here as well. You know, for example, if you like Alabama laying the number, then, you know, does Justin Fields wind up having to throw it a lot in the second half? Is that something that, you know, maybe does ultimately push Fields over? Or, on the other hand, if Ohio State's throwing it a lot, then, you know, that means that Alabama is going to be sitting back in dime, sitting back in zone, all of that. Maybe that limits some of the explosive potential for a guy like Olave. Maybe he's got to use Garrett Wilson more, who seems to be kind of more of the possession guy for the Buckeyes this season. So there's a lot of different ways you can kind of attack this. And it's hard to speculate not knowing what these lines are, not knowing what the odds are on some of these things. But they will be coming out, you know, probably, like I said, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, We'll be able to talk about some of them on next Monday's show. But it's not a bad idea to start getting kind of a plan of attack for these. And of course, as always, one of the biggest keys, whether it's the Super Bowl, the national championship game, whatever else, having multiple sportsbook accounts at your disposal to shop around for the best lines, the best VIG on these props, because a lot of times that's going to really dictate your bottom line. Absolutely. We talk about it quite a bit, but it's really important that that half a point or a point is going to come into play a lot in a game. And it's even more important if you're betting props. I mean, because some of those props, it can be a really big difference. And we know when you're talking something like, you know, um, over 55 and a half rushing yards versus over 58 and a half, uh, that's really important. So definitely have plenty of outs if you want to do something like that. Um, Strongly recommend that. Well, again, you know, and we'll see what the catalog looks like. But, you know, I mentioned Fields completions under, and you kind of look at that in a correlated sense with Trey Sermon rushing attempts. Well, if you think Sermon rushes the ball a lot, you can start looking at, you know, defensive player tackles for Alabama at some of their linebackers or their safeties, something like that. So, again, a lot of ways to attack this, a lot of ways you can connect different plays, ways you can even kind of have a built-in hedge if you're taking Ohio State or if you're taking Alabama whichever side you like, or even the total. You know, if, if you like the under in the game, you kind of cover yourself by playing, you know, some player prop overs, something like that. Things that are independent events, you could win both of them, but also sort of ways to kind of protect yourself, protect your investment a little bit too. So again, a lot of strategy comes into play with this, but I do love the fact that this is effectively the college football Super Bowl in the sense that we should have a plethora of prop options available. And I know that those are markets that you and I, you know, love to attack. And, and again, this is the last college football game of the year. These are probably the two most publicly scrutinized teams in all of college football. If you think you're going to find a lot of line value in a game like this on the spread or the total, you're probably dead wrong. So that's why the props, whether it's team props, game props, or player props, the way to attack this, in my opinion. Yeah, and I want to echo what you said there a few minutes ago about teasing this game. That would be a really dangerous thing. Don't you bet there's got to be somebody who's going to tease Bama down and play the over in a teaser. And if you want to bet totals and try to tease a total in college football, it's just a terrible idea. So don't don't do anything like that. Um, I really think totals are a bad idea to tease in general, but college football totals – 
really bad idea. So don't do anything like that. Look at the props instead. And, and like Adam said, you know, if somebody's telling you, wow, we have huge line value, this line's 10 points off or something on the game, you probably want to run away. Yeah, if somebody's got a game of the year on this thing, you know, if you're somebody who, who buys premium picks, that person is a charlatan and you never want to buy from them again. Right. It, it's that simple. I mean, there is, and that's the thing of it too is, you know, I didn't even mention this during the highlight video, I don't think, but like my line prior to the playoffs was Alabama minus 11 and a half. So, I mean, I, you know, compared to what I would have had this line, you know, a, a week ago, I mean, it's off from my number. And, and you do have to give Ohio State respect and Alabama – they could have beaten Notre Dame by more if they really wanted to. I mean, they, they just completely let up in the second half of that game. They didn't cover the number. Ohio State won outright as more than a touchdown dog in very convincing fashion. Yeah, you give them some props for that. You give them some credit for that. But the idea to me that after one game and after, you know, like three days of, of kind of evaluating this, that this game is lined the exact same as the Clemson game roughly, that doesn't sit well with me. So... Maybe there is a little bit of line value. I don't know. But, uh, you know, again, if somebody's selling this as a game of the year or something like that, uh, you, you, not only do you not want to buy from them, you probably don't want to respect their opinion either. Right, because they're just so far off. And, and clearly they're just looking to, to sell something. And they, everybody knows that this isn't the greatest value that there's ever been. So if somebody tries to tell you that, then, you know, they're kind of that snake oil person. All right, so we'll talk more about the props and the game itself next Monday after we have some more time to organize our thoughts, see if there's any COVID that pops up, and of course, maybe get some measure of an update on Justin Fields. But we transition over to the college basketball side of things here, and it will be a lot of college basketball going forward. We'll be able to talk about the national championship game next week. After that, it'll be pretty much college basketball. Maybe we'll work in some NFL playoff stuff while we have Kyle on the show here. But, uh, we had a lot of ground to cover on the college basketball side of things here today. And uh, we'll start with some injuries, you know, sort of that quick hitters segment that we've always done three really key injuries that you think have a significant impact on these respective teams. Yeah, I think these are three important injuries. Jason Preston for Ohio, their leading scorer, 19 points per game uh, missed last game due to an injury. And I'll be honest, right at the last second, when I realized he was going to be out of the game, I took all state. That one lost. That was not a, a paid play. That was just a personal play. So that was one of those that I would do it again because I think that it's important enough that um, there's value going against Ohio without Preston. Um, I, Ohio shot the lights out and they won, and that's going to happen sometimes. But Ohio, a team that'd rather fade without him. Uh, I'll go with the other under the radar one next. Neftali Alvarez from Mercer. He's missed their last two games. The first game without him, um, they did not play well at all. And then they had a good performance and only lost by three against Furman. This guy's a really good point guard, a great passer, very good free throw shooter, kind of the floor general for Mercer. Big, big injury here. This is a very important injury. Ross Cummings is a really good player for Mercer, but he can't play to his best without Alvarez out there. I think that um, Mercer is a team that could do some real damage if Alvarez is out there. It's undisclosed why he hasn't played. So I don't, I don't know exactly. Um, obviously, we can we can guess, but I don't know for sure why he's not playing. Um, a lot of these smaller schools can kind of get away with, you know, undisclosed injury, uh, undisclosed reasons that they're not playing easier than a team like Kentucky or North Carolina would be able to do. So not sure exactly, but it's a big loss for them. Chris Smith for UCLA, torn ACL out for the year. 
Um, this certainly lowers the ceiling for this uh, UCLA team. And really, they've played pretty well so far this year. The Pac-12 is terrible. And we're going to have plenty of time to talk about this. So I won't belabor the point right now. But um, I keep thinking one of these years that the Pac-12 has got to get better, right? They can't just continue to be so bad every year because there are some schools that have been pretty good basketball schools in here. And yet every year here of late, they've been really bad. UCLA, their offensive efficiency has got to go down without Chris Smith. 12.6 points per game, 6.4 rebounds, good offensive rebounder. Um, they don't have great scorers in the front court without him. Uh, I think Smith is a pretty big loss for them. And we know that Cronin's team will play hard. They're a pretty good defensive team. They're going to play slow. So you'll have some lower scoring games. Maybe unders without him would make some sense to me. Maybe even go against UCLA early on. Those are definitely three key injuries. And and speaking of the Ohio one specifically, you know, you look at their previous three games, you know, before Preston went out, they allowed 1.149 points per possession to Marshall, 1.375 to Akron. 1.214 1.214 to Bowling Green, and then 1.051 to Ball State. So this is a situation where they shot really well offensively, which is unexpected, but also they picked up their intensity a little bit on the defensive side. And when you lose a big scorer like that, not only do you want to look at unders because it could hurt the team offensively, but also they're going to realize that they need to give a little bit more effort in every facet of the game. So defensively, Ohio, I would think, should get a little bit better compared to their previous few data points. So that's a situation to me where you start looking at unders for a team like that, not only with the loss of a scorer, but also because they're going to have to compensate on the other end of the floor because they're just not going to be as dynamic offensively. Yeah, I think that Ohio has had some bad luck on defense so far this year. So I think unders would make some sense. I don't think they're a better defensive team without him in there, but I think like you said, Um, They know that they can't be as efficient on offense without him. So you would think that they would put a lot of effort into the defensive end. Ball State, not one of the best offenses in the MAC, So they will give up points to some of the better offenses there in the MAC. Um, Ohio unders could have value in some of the games going forward. We'll see how long Preston's out. Uh, Definitely a key injury. Now, something that uh, maybe we should have found time to get to a little bit earlier in the season, but, you know, at least now that we're in conference play, it's, it's pretty good to look at these things. There are several teams that have switched conferences for this season. A lot of them pretty far under the radar as well. So that's a very interesting thing here this year because you didn't get a lot of non-conference data points. You're getting a lot of conference games. There's a lot of familiarity generally between those teams that already play two, maybe three times in a season uh, if they run into each other in the conference tournament. Some teams will play other teams four times this year uh, with the different schedule and all of that. So that's kind of interesting. You've got some conference newcomers here uh, that, you know, maybe worth keeping an eye on for, for some betting value. Yeah, we'll start with the big one. UConn goes from the AAC back to the Big East. The Big East is really good. Um, UConn's defense is very good. Can their offense be good enough to play with the better teams in this conference? I think that's really the question here. We'll see as we go forward about UConn. UConn is going to be really scrappy on defense. Um very good coach as far as on the defensive end and Hurley. So uh, I think UConn unders would make some sense as we go forward. I don't know that they're going to be able to score as much as some of the best teams, especially efficiency wise. Um, You want me to just run through several of these here real quick? Yeah, that works. Okay. Um, NJIT leaves the A-Sun, goes the America East. I'll be honest, NJIT is a team I don't know quite as well as some of these others. The A-Sun, a conference that I 
don't consider myself a specialist in quite as much as some of the others. They weren't even lined until a couple of years ago. So um, I've, I've taken a real close look at the Big South here in the last couple of years, but the ASUN is one that I, I don't feel like I know quite as well. America East, they go to, um, it, it sets up for some interesting spots because NJIT goes to a, a conference that is a lot different than the Atlantic Sun. I, I think the America East has a lot of low scoring games. NJIT probably wants to play faster than a lot of those teams do. So we'll see what kind of totals they have there. But uh, Robert Morris goes from the Northeast Conference to, or, to the horizon. I think they have a good coach in O'Toole. Robert Morris, uh, a team that had a lot bigger basketball budget than the others in the Northeast Conference. So it makes sense for them to go somewhere else. However, you know, you have to say that Robert Morris isn't terribly close to a lot of these other places in the Horizon League. So this sets up for a uh, interesting scheduling spot uh, for quite a few games there in that conference. Cal State Bakersfield leaves the WAC. Um, the WAC's really a mess right now. Goes to the Big West. Very slow-paced team. Uh, pretty talented team that traps a lot, uh, force a bunch of turnovers. They have a really unique style in that um, they kind of use that jump defense where a team gets past half court, they trap everything that they can. It leads to a lot of fouls. It also leads to a lot of turnovers and runouts. If they don't get a quick score in transition, Bakersfield will hold the ball the entire clock. So you're going to get a lot of low scoring games with them, but you could be pretty frustrated if you take a low under because there's going to be a lot of free throws. So uh, Bakersfield is a unique team to handicap. Uh, should be some good spots there. I think Bakersfield could do pretty well ATS this year. I think they're a well-coached team. UMKC goes to the Summit League, slower pace by far, and far worse on offense, better on defense than most teams in the Summit. I think this is an interesting one because UMKC should have some lower scoring games than most of the teams in this league. We've talked about in the past, the Summit League is one that I know really well, and no one plays defense in this league. They all play quick. They all can shoot really well from three. UMKC is different than the rest of those teams. So I think you could have some value betting on them as an underdog or betting unders with them against certain teams because UMKC is not the same team as a lot of those teams in that league. So I think one that is so unique from the rest of them uh, that stands out could give you some betting value. Yeah, and one other one, Purdue-Fort Wayne goes from the summit to the horizon. Uh, you know, I, a couple of the interesting ones there, you know, with the WAC sort of losing a couple of teams, I think these are two really important ones to key in on, especially Bakersfield, because they play that unique style of defense. And I sort of wonder for them, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the Big West is another one of those conferences playing the back-to-backs. You know, may not be back-to-back days, but you're playing the same opponent consecutive games. So what I think will be really interesting to see is – how Bakersfield does in the first game compared to the second game, because this is a much different style than anything that the teams in the big West are accustomed to. So you see it in that first game might catch you off guard, might kind of shock you a little bit. Maybe for the second game, the better coach teams will be able to make an adjustment. So I sort of wonder about that for Bakersfield as we go forward here of a team that maybe you play them the first time a team sees them, and then either fade them or just kind of sit on the sidelines for that second game. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because if you have a well-coached team and, and you made that point, and that's really important because not all teams will adjust very well, especially if it's back-to-back days or only one day in between. But if you have a well-coached team, 
Bakersfield's going to be playing a lot different style than what most of these teams are used to. And that first game, it could catch them off guard a lot more. Once you have film to watch your own guys against that defense, it's a lot easier to make adjustments. So I think that's a really good point and something we should uh, follow up on here as we go throughout the year. And I will say, I'm going to tease this for next week. I want to say that I really want to talk about those back-to-backs quite a bit because there have been some really, uh, really big changes from day to day. Um, Army beats Colgate 101 to 57, I believe lost to him the next day in a real close game. Um, Oakland beat Wright State 90 to 51 and then loses 82 to 72 the next day. These back-to-backs are some really wacky handicaps. So I want us to follow up on that quite a bit here next week. Yeah, I think we definitely should. Looking specifically at Bakersfield here, they actually lost to Long Beach State in overtime 90-89 to on Friday last week. Came back and won by 13 the next day. Big difference is Long Beach State was 12 of 25 from three in the first game, 7 of 20 in the second game. So we've also talked about that too. If you have this outlier shooting performance or something like that, that's something that you know you may want to look to play on or against in the next game, depending on what the outlier actually was. Bakersfield gets Cal Poly on Friday and Saturday. One other thing about Bakersfield here that I'm looking at as I look at their statistical profile, they attack the offensive glass really well. That's another thing out in the Big West. You don't really get a lot of great offensive rebounding teams from what I remember. So Bakersfield's going to be you know, a midful for a lot of these teams, I think. Yeah, they, they definitely attack the offensive glass every year. They're going to get to the line a lot because of second chance. They're also going to send the other team to the line a lot because of the way they trap. So a really interesting handicap and a team that uh, will probably find their way onto our uh, game previews as we go throughout the season. I love it, man. I love it when we look at those under-the-radar teams and, and try to find some angles for people out there. And, and again, you know, pay attention to that Friday-Saturday set with Cal Poly. Maybe you get an opportunity to either play on or against Bakersfield here coming up this weekend. we got a couple of tempo changes to bring to the forefront here, and uh, one that we're going to hit on, and then one that I think we're probably going to go a little bit more in detail with. Yeah, Colgate's first. They've only played two games uh, very fast against Army. I know Army plays fast, but if you go back and look at last year, um, Colgate didn't play nearly as fast against Army last year as what they did this year. So it's going to be interesting to see if Colgate wants to keep this up. 14.3 seconds per possession, about three seconds faster than last year. Evansville is the other team. Licklider in his full season here, first full season. McCarty started last year. Evansville wanted to play fast. Licklider, I know, said at some point last year, um, you know, this is hard for me because this isn't exactly the style that I usually play and we're changing in the middle of the season. Now they're playing what he wants to do, 20.4 seconds per possession, the second slowest in the country so far this year. Evansville plays very slowly. They will continue to do so. Yeah, and Evansville, fascinating. You know, you sent this to me in the notes and I started taking a little bit of a deeper dive on the aces here. And uh, first of all, they have one outlier performance with 84 possessions. It was a double overtime game against UT Martin. So don't let that one factor too much into your handicap at all, or at least put the qualifier on it that they did play two extra periods there in that one. Evansville shoots a three at about 54% of their field goal attempts. So they're slow as hell. They take a ton of threes and they don't get many offensive rebounds. This is a team that last year, Went 0-19 in the Missouri Valley Conference. They lost all 18 regular season games 
and lost to Valpo in the conference title game. They're three and one to start MVC play here so far. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a team that um, is going to be pretty high variance for a team that has uh, such low possessions because of how much they're shooting the three, right? Because you usually would say a team that's playing that slowly, you could kind of know what to expect more. Evansville, I think will be difficult. I think them as an underdog, and a, and a decent underdog role uh, could be a good bet. I do think that Evansville could be a little bit overvalued off those wins against Northern Iowa because I don't think Northern Iowa is as good as most people think they are right now. So uh, we'll revisit Evansville as well. But uh, a fascinating team in that they're so unique compared to other teams. Their first game against Northern Iowa on Saturday, they were 11 for 33 from three. Northern Iowa was 0 for 11, and they won the game by four which I don't know how you outscore a team by 33 points on threes and only win the game by four. That would have been one of those spots that we would have absolutely looked at to fade Evansville the next day. And they beat Northern Iowa by six the next day. So it was one that didn't work out, but it, it again illustrates what we're kind of looking for here in these back-to-back situations. Yeah. I mean, these back-to-backs you're looking for outliers. Like Adam said, you want to find something that, that really stands out um, that, you think it would be hard for them to do again. And obviously sometimes they will do it again, but you're looking for that little bit of an edge. And, and I think that does give you the chance to, to find some of those. And you won't find that in every game, but there's going to be enough of these back-to-backs that you'll find quite a few of them. All right, so we have a regression candidate here. And in fact, it's one of the teams that changed conferences here. Uh, Fort Wayne, the Mastodons, going from the Summit to the Horizon League. You're looking at them as a regression candidate this week. Yeah, they're fifth in the nation in effective field goal percentage offense. They were 185th last year. They were good a couple of years ago, um, top 15. I don't think, though, that they have the guys that they should be fifth this year. Um, they're 59.5% from two-point range. The other thing that stands out to me, they're about to play a lot better defensive teams in this new conference. And, I mean, they, they leave a conference that was terrible in defense and go to a conference that is at least better on defense. So I think Fort Wayne will not continue this offense they've done so far this year. I would look to play some unders with them or maybe bet against them. Yeah, it's definitely one you want to take a look at there. And again, that conference change, you know, like you said, I mean, they don't play anybody that plays defense in the summit. Now they're in the horizon where some of those teams, and I know that you've got, you know, a team like Oakland that, I mean, they don't play good defense. They'll kind of go up and down the floor with you, but Wright State tends to be a pretty slow team. Northern Kentucky, they're usually average to below average in tempo. You know, definitely a, a different kind of environment for them. And furthermore, you know, keep in mind too that when you start making these tempo changes, or in this case, you make a conference change, you know, Fort Wayne can outscore the opposition because there are a lot of possessions in those Summit League games. That may not be the case here uh, in the Horizon League. So definitely a very important one to keep an eye on. One other one I wanted to mention here that I kind of talked with you about a little bit before the show. Southern Illinois is shooting 42% from three. Another one of these teams in the Missouri Valley that, you know, off to a good start shooting threes, they don't take nearly as many of them as Evansville does, but they're also similarly bad on the offensive glass. I feel like Southern Illinois is maybe a team that's kind of due for some regression as well. I think so too. I think Southern Illinois team I'd want to bet against or bet unders with. Um, They had that nice win over Butler, but Butler's really not very good, you know? So we know that Butler's playing without a couple of their best players. And um, I would be careful to read too much of that game. So I think Southern Illinois is a team that can't keep up that kind of shooting and Southern Illinois, 
usually wants to p- play pretty slowly, especially once you get to NBC play. Not many teams are going to play fast there. So I think unders or betting against them is a good look. All right, so we talked about Fort Wayne and Southern Illinois as regression candidates here. What about some fade teams, teams that you are actively looking to bet against over the next little while? And are these short-term or long-term fades? Navy's first 5-1 and one ATS. Uh, Ken Pomeroy has his team as the luckiest team in college hoops so far this year, and it isn't even close. Um, they're better than last year, but they're not this much better. I think they could be a good short-term fade because this Navy team – is going to be pretty respected in the in the um, marketplace at this point. I think that they overall will probably be above 500 ATS this year, but I think at 5-1 and one ATS right now, you're going to catch some good numbers to go against them. So that's a team that I'd like to go against. One more that I want to go against, Grand Canyon, 6-0 and ATS so far this year. They're on a COVID pause right now. I like this Grand Canyon team, but I think there's going to be a good short-term fade opportunity. They can't keep covering every number. And then those first games back after the the COVID pause could be some good fade spots um, against Grand Canyon. Something to keep in mind here with Navy, they don't play again until January 16th. So they'll go 13 days between games. They win a month between playing Georgetown and Bucknell, beat Bucknell twice, but the Bison are not the team that we're used to seeing, the team that generally wins the conference, goes to the NCAA tournament. Uh, this is not a good Bucknell team. And that's something important, too. You mentioned you know, Southern Illinois' win over Butler. I mentioned Navy beating Bucknell a couple of times. Don't just assume that because you know these names that these teams are as good as they've been in the past because sometimes they're just not. So, again, you may get that name win, but that team may be having a down year or a down few years to the point where you don't want to overvalue what that win actually means. Right. Uh, and that's something that people that don't pay as much attention to college basketball could certainly do. They, they remember what they uh, saw from a year or two ago. A team like Bucknell was a team that's been in the NCAA tournaments several times. They're not the same team they were then. All right. So we talked about a couple of fade teams. Is there anybody in the country that you're looking to play on right now? So Stephen F. Austin, they're one in three ATS. I still think they probably have the most talented team in this league, or at least second most. They can't keep turning it over to 30% clip all year long. They, they turned it over a lot in non-conference play. I think this is a good buy low for Stephen F. Austin. I also think they're a good long-term team to follow because I do think they'll do very well in the Southland Conference. All right, so we look at a few games here to wrap up this Monday edition of ATS Radio. And We start with one on Tuesday night here between UConn and Marquette, a UConn team that we just talked about making that switch from the AAC to the Big East Conference. What is it about this Tuesday night game that you're kind of looking at? UConn's a lot better on defense than they are on offense, like I mentioned before. And Marquette's a team that's much different than last year. They had Howard last year. They played quickly. Now Marquette slowed things down a lot. They're at least as good on defense, if not better than what they were last year. They're not as good on offense, and they're playing far slower. So I think this Marquette team is a good team to bet unders with here. And um, Ken Pomeroy has this number at 139. I'm not sure what Bart Torvik has this one at. 141. Uh, I was going to say, I'm hoping it's higher than 139, because I think that seems a little bit low. Hope for 140 or better in this one. I think if it's 140 or better, this will be a premium play. If it's under that, I'm not sure. I got to look at this game a little bit closer. Um, to me, Marquette's a good under team. And long-term, I'm going to want to bet unders with Marquette. 
UConn in general, also a team that I'd rather bet unders than overs with because I think they'll be inefficient on offense and they'll be very good on defense. So this is a good matchup in that both teams are uh, very scrappy teams. I think both teams are pretty well coached as well. Uh, as far as the side, I don't really have any strong lean in this one. I think this will tell us quite a bit about both teams because these teams are pretty even teams, in my opinion. You know, um, UConn, we don't know as much what they are. They haven't played as many games. Marquette, I feel like I have a pretty good idea what they are. Maybe their ceiling's not quite as high without Marcus Howard, but, you know, you could argue that uh, they've been better on defense and they take care of the basketball well. They don't get to the line near as much because Howard got to the line so much, but I think this is a good underlook here, UConn and Marquette, and hopefully we get 140 or better in this one. There's one game that I want to touch on for Tuesday night, and uh, I, I know I gave you a, a lot of flack. Quite frankly, I gave you a lot of shit for the, the college football games that you would watch sometimes, <laughs> the really bad ones. Tuesday night, Holy Cross is at BU, at Boston University. Both of these teams starting their seasons on Monday. Interestingly enough, BU will be wearing masks for their game against Holy Cross on the road. When Holy Cross goes to BU tomorrow night, Holy Cross will have to wear masks. So BU is wearing them all year long as they play, and teams that play on the Boston University campus will have to wear them. So I think that's kind of a weird back-to-back here where BU is going to have played a game wearing the masks. Holy Cross will have to put them on tomorrow to play. And of course, it's a back-to-back with some of those outliers. So maybe a betting opportunity here, uh, you know, based on what happens tonight and also just based on the uniqueness of the situation between Holy Cross and BU. Yeah, I mean, for a second while you were talking, I saw a great (laughs) opportunity to really give you a hard time because I thought, you know, of all the games that you gave me shit about, you're going to bring up this. But I have to say, I didn't know that. And I think that's a really good point. So uh, because it's so unique from anything else, I really don't know how that'll handi- uh, work into a handicap. Uh, that seems like it's going to be a very unique situation. So I'm very curious to see how the, this first game will go. And then maybe we get an outlier there and there's a good bet in the second game. But um, right now, I don't know what to think of that game. But after the first one, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if there's if there's a big outlier and then maybe there's some value in that next game. And maybe it's something with a home and home where, you know, BU is going to be wearing the masks all year. Teams that go to BU have to wear them. If there's another home and home situation, again, small data points. Maybe you don't want to take too much out of it, but still a very weird situation. One other game I want to ask you about, then we'll get to your Friday game. Greensboro and Wofford play on Wednesday night. Uh, That's a real interesting game. Wofford, number one in the country in terms of three-point rate. Almost 59% of their shots have been threes. They've done very well around 38%. They're also a very good team on two-pointers. Greensboro, more of a defense-first type of team. That's kind of one of those, maybe not pace wars, but certainly a stylistic uh, you know, uh, dichotomy game there on Wednesday night. Yeah, these two teams don't like each other very much, and they've played some really good games against each other. There was a double overtime game last year, Greensboro at Wofford. Wofford won that game. You know, I'm disappointed in how Greensboro has played so far this year, and I still think they could be a good buy-low candidate, so maybe they should be one of the follow teams as well. I'm not sure what to think about this game, though. Wofford's very efficient on offense, um, shoot it really well from long range. They're going to take a lot of high-quality shots. I think Greensboro is a team that I'd like to back in general, but I don't know what I want to do with this game. I think I would probably lean under, if anything. All right, so the other game that you had listed in the notes here for Friday, we go back out to the Big West, and 
know, we talk about the Big West a lot on this show, but there does seem to be some significant value in this conference here. And this is a Friday night matchup between UC Davis and UC Irvine. Yeah, Davis is coming off a really large break here. The last time they played, well, they played Idaho State on November 28th. They played William Jessup. Um, not familiar with William Jessup. I don't know that very many people would be, but that's that was their last game, and that was on December 4th. So you have a, a break of over a month. There was a COVID pause here, and then they didn't really have very many games scheduled in that time anyways. But um, really, really tough spot here for Davis. I know that Ken Prom. Ken Pomeroy has this at minus six. I hope we get minus six. I have a feeling we probably won't. I think it'll probably be bigger than this. Um, the odds makers do know that this first game after a break is not a good thing. So I don't think you're going to get any great values and look to find something like four and a half or five in this game. If you did be a really good play. Um, I like Irvine in this one. Irvine is pretty battle tested. They've played a really good schedule so far this year. San Diego State, USC, even UC Santa Barbara, the team that they they won back to back in that really pretty impressive back to back wins over a team that should be one of the best teams in the Big West. So Irvine, a team that's always really good defensively. Davis, a team that's really good offensively usually. So uh, clashing styles there. If you go back to last year, uh, Irvine won at Davis by 15. Um, it looks like they won. Oh, they, they won by 11 once and then 15 the other time. I would think that this line will come out bigger than six. Um, do you know what offhand what Torvik has here? Torvik has it 9.7. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, minus six is not going to happen. Um, hopefully seven or seven and a half or something like that. The odds makers sure like to use Ken Pomeroy. So Hopefully they just put Pomeroy's number on this one, but uh, I like Irvine in this one. I think laying the points is a good way to look in this one. Well, and if nothing else for our listeners, keep an eye out for that one with the overnights on Thursday, where, you know, if Irvine comes out seven, seven and a half, get it quick because it's probably going to go up for the reasons that you mentioned, especially that COVID pause. Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper and better over at huntersportspicks.com. And what's going on over there right now, man? Go over to huntersportsfix.com. You can check out my premium packages. Um, lower the price on the all-college basketball and NBA plays. Um, that's called the Basketball Fanatic Pass. You can get every basketball play all the way through the NBA Finals. Um, you'll never pay anything else, just a one-time uh, expense there. You'll get every play as soon as I make it. If you don't want to buy plays, you can go sign up for the free picks newsletter there at huntersportspicks.com. Also follow me at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. I'm going to post some free plays. Posted a player prop there yesterday that personally I couldn't bet because it was at DraftKings, but I know a lot of people won with that one. So um, I'll try to post some of those as I can as well. Always great to chat with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. As he said, at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Kyle, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, man. Take care. There you go. Kyle Hunter, huntersportspicks.com, at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Always great to chat with him on Mondays, and we'll do it again next Monday when we talk about the national championship and some of those prop bets that we're looking at. Coming up on Tuesday's edition of the show, we'll chat NFL playoffs for the Wild Card Weekend and another division or two in the NHL with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Still working out the rest of the schedule for the rest of this week, but Thursday I'll have Brad Powers on for sure. Other than that, I'll have to keep you informed as I figure it out. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.